we are, as a church, going through the book of James, and we today are going to get very close to the end of chapter two, or the end of chapter one. We'll get close to chapter two, uh, but we'll save that for next week. So if you have a Bible, open to James chapter one. We'll, we'll start where we left off in verse 19, and as you're turning there by way of introduction, um, as a pastor, I get to, to share the word a lot. And so I, I, I get to see a lot of the ways that the word has some parallels to just regular old life. And one of the parallels is that oftentimes as you are reading the word or you're, 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 you're sharing it, it's almost like medicine for the circumstances that you're in. You know, there's a certain part of the word that's like medicine for a time of mourning, a time of, of hurt or pain or rejoicing. And, and where we are this morning when I read this verse that we'll start with, it's like medicine for the, 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 just the modern day world that we live in. If we were able to take this portion of the word and apply it to our lives, I believe just for my own life, I, there would be like, like medicine, there would be healing for some of the ways that oftentimes I'm in the church or in the word, but not of it. And so uh, consider that. And I invite you to listen along with me as I read these first couple verses that we'll cover this morning, um, starting in verse 19. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath or anger. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that's a verse that you could almost read before every time of preaching. When you open the word, it's like, listen up, church. You're here to hear the word. And I hope in a way that would be received that goes beyond just this short little time we have together every week. And and that's where this will then flow into as James continues to write to these churches scattered abroad. He says, listen carefully, in other words. And when those moments come where you're tempted to respond to the situations of life with anger or frustration— know that that's not the way that we grow into the image of Christ that we're called to. So he says, therefore, verse 21, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And there's that, that the, the medicine applied and taken correctly. You receive the word, it, it gets implanted into you, and it will save your soul. It will bring health to the, the, the person that God's making you to be. And then he'll say, and we'll, we'll, we'll also look at the portion of Scripture that's going to be introduced with verse 20, 22. He says, but don't just be hearers only of the word and deceive yourself. Meaning sometimes you can come and you can listen to the word or you know, a, a, a time of preaching through all of the ways we consume it, podcasts and online and television and church. And it says, don't deceive yourself because you can hear the word, but if you're not doing it, it actually doesn't really matter. He'll go on to say that it will produce in you a useless religion. And then he'll use an illustration, which is an illustration we'll look at at the end of this, as to what you look like when you listen to the word or you hear it in your reading or in the, uh, in the preaching that will happen on Sunday mornings throughout the, the country right now. Um, the illustration of, of how foolish it is to hear it and not do it. 
then the chapter will end with what happens when the word plants into your heart and you do it. It actually will shift towards a, a proper flow of what James will use as religion or church or your Christian experience will then have this outworking of it that works. And so the outline from verse 19 to the end, if, if it helps your brain, is how we listen to the word, and then how we live the word, and then how we love by the power of the word. So there's this flow, and all of them are connected. How you listen to anything actually does determine how you live, and how you live determines how you love. So this morning, we'll look at the first two, and I'm actually going to save the, the way that the word grows out of us into religion, whether it's good or bad, for next week, when we talk about that famous verse, pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their time of need. And it will flow into chapter 2 really nicely because it will talk about how our, our response in our religious activity is to show no favoritism in, in the way that we love, in the way that we gather. So we'll save that for next week. And the good news is we're going to just try to get through two things this morning. So uh, if we listen well, maybe we'll get out of here early. That's no threat. Let's just, let's just do our best. So, so isn't it interesting, though, that the, the word, as we've gone through this, has offered us so many invitations to be blessed by God, and now James says, in, in a way that almost requires us to, to slow down, even as you just sit there doing nothing, he says, but you have to listen. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And if you just... Take a minute to allow that to penetrate your mind this morning. You allow the, all of the ways that we listen with distraction to kind of clear away. Do you see why this could be medicine for our day and age? If we learned how to listen before we speak. I already mentioned the conference, and, and I hope that you were all aware and got invited to this conference. It was called the Introduction to the LGBTQ Conversation. It was so good, and if you weren't able to join, please reach out, and, and, and we'll get you in touch with how you can watch it digitally. But one of the, the takeaways, in fact, I'll give you three takeaways, like premier takeaways from this. Um, the, the speaker, Preston, was talking about how we just relationally connect with people that Sometimes we don't know how to connect with. He gave three really good do's and don'ts of relationship. He said, listen, listen, listen. That applied to your obedience in Christ will work with any relationship that you find difficult. Any relationship that you find confusing on how to navigate. If we become people that whether it's husbands and wives, parents and children, neighbors, who learn what the Bible says about listening to one another, we will be blessed, as the word says, with what that turns into with how we live and love one another. Now, to prove the point on how we're not always good listeners, I will uh, share with you how I first want to apply this verse and how it's often taught. Um, sometimes you want to listen to this verse. Be, be quick to listen and slow to anger. And that's like, is that not a great verse for your next uh, wedding or marriage retreat that we do as a church? It's like, husbands and wives, let's just do this for each other, right? It's like applied vertically, automatically. Or is that not just, are, when you read that, if you're like me, you're thinking of that person that just talks all the time. And in the digital age, talking all the time is now posting all the time and sharing all the time. It's just opinion about everything, and, and it's fast to talk and slow to listen. And you're like, read this. You need to read this and apply it to your life. Well, 
this is actually an illustration on how we get listening wrong right out the gate because it's actually not for the vertical first. This whole chapter is teaching us how to have joy in trials when life gets really hard, as it is sure to do as a follower of Christ. God has called us to an eternal, perfected relationship with him and each other someday. And on the way, he's promised us that there will be all sorts of trials that we have to overcome in his name because he overcomes. But it's hard. And there are trials from without. Last week, we were reminded that we're going towards God and this fallen world is going away from him. So we're cutting against the grain and there will be difficult times. But James says, there's joy in the trial. And if you don't see it, run to God and allow God to speak to you in words of wisdom so that you can correctly interpret the circumstances of your life with the lens of joy and hope and the sovereignty of God. If we're preaching a message for joy in the trial and you don't have it, the answer is, Go to God and listen. Allow the word of God to speak to you for your circumstances that the wisdom from heaven would open your eyes for the difficulties of earth. And then secondly, we we talked about that second trial, which is interpreted as temptation. It's the trial from within. It's this, not only do we live in a fallen world, we live in a fallen body. and, And when we go through this life, there will be all sorts of things that make life hard because of us. And the word last week said, don't be deceived. Know the truth. Listen to God. And last week, we, we draw out this tendency that happens when circumstances sometimes get tough. James says, don't blame God. In other words, when we're talking about being quick to listen and slow to anger, all of that is first and foremost with your relationship with your creator. When life gets hard, listen to God and don't get mad at him. Don't get angry. That will not produce in you the joy and the peace and the love and the kindness and the long-suffering that righteousness here is pointing us to, that doesn't come when we grit our teeth and get angry at church or God or the word. What needs to happen is we have to listen to what the, the, the word is saying so that we can see things the way God does. And in listening, we hear that it is the kindness of God that draws us into repentance. And in listening, we hear that we are called to be ambassadors of that kindness across the aisle in whatever community that God has placed us in, to be listening with his love and grace and patience. And when we think about this whole message, the reality is is it should, like much of the book of James, hit us fairly square between the, the eyes. It's like, listen up, and we're all like, but I don't like listening. It's hard to listen. It's hard to take the word of God and, and, and allow it to grow in our hearts. And as much as this feels like a modern day problem, it's actually something that Jesus, when he came to do his earthly ministry, was always teaching his disciples about the difficulty of. When we look at James, he says this, this really key word that helps us overlay the teaching of Jesus and, and draw from it. He says that we are to receive it as the implanted word. We're supposed to listen to the word of God as seeds get planted into our heart. So that should give us a picture of a parable that Jesus taught that he will teach to warn us against some of the reasons that we get this all wrong. So it's probably worth looking at Matthew chapter 13 just for a second. Because when we're given the the command to be obedient to 
hear the word and then do the word, we should probably look into some of the reasons that we don't. So in Matthew chapter 13, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a chapter that's full of parables. One of them is called the parable of the sower. And it's really easy to teach the parable of the sower because I can tell you I'm doing it right now. The, Jesus says that the, the word of God is, is like the seed. And imagine a farmer going out to, to sow the seed. So what I'm doing, in a sense, is taking truth from the word of God, and I'm throwing it into the sanctuary right now. And there will be four responses depending on the condition of your heart. And he gives those conditions in the, the picture of how soil receives seeds. So remember, there's the stony path. And the seed falls right on top, like seed on top of concrete. And then there's the, the seed that goes out, and it's got rocks, so a little bit of soil and a little bit of rocks. And then there's the soil that's got tons of thorns. And then there's that rich soil. And it's worth looking into these soils and trying to understand why it is sometimes the Word of God can go out and does not turn us into people who do anything about it and bear the fruit that comes as a promise from Scripture this morning, anyone who does the word and continues in it will be blessed. So the first soil, as Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples, what do you mean by that? He says in verse uh, 16, or verse 18, he says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Whatever's been sown, whatever goes out this morning, there is a chance that what goes out goes right over your head. And for a variety of reasons, you may not understand anything I'm talking about. Uh, I actually remember the last time I taught this parable specifically, before I taught it to the church, church I taught it to my kids. And as I was teaching them, um, I said, listen, this first one's like a sidewalk, just like I told you guys. And I said, your heart sometimes is more like a sidewalk than a heart. And my kids were like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. And we, we did that at nighttime. That morning we went to the zoo, and I, uh, I was sowing more truth. I was telling all of my kids, I lined them up, and I said, listen, these ropes, this is the difference between life and death, these ropes. On this side, it's like enjoy the view. On that side, you will get eaten alive. So please, and as I'm saying this, one of my children is already over the rope. And she's like, all she heard was, when I said don't cross the rope, she didn't hear don't. She just heard cross the rope. She's like, got it, I'm going right now. Uh, my oldest daughter said, she has, a, she has a sidewalk heart. And I was like, okay, you got it. <laughs> she does have a sidewalk heart. I'm so sorry to hear that. And that will be true. Uh, that's happening right now. Some of you, I, I'm, I, I've preached you're going through trials, you're going through difficulty, but by the, by the view we have of eternity and the sovereignty of God and the truth of God's word, we are called to be so rooted in the presence of God where there's fullness of joy that you we can have joy regardless of what you're going through. Some of you heard that message and you left and you were like, I hate my life. I didn't get anything in the sovereignty of God message for me. My joy is rooted right here in my circumstances, and they're horrible, which means I have no joy. But the answer for us, just like it was given to us in the book of James, says you didn't understand it. And that's fair. Oftentimes, life will get so hard, and you look around, and you think, I'm called to joy. I'm called to a hope that is so vibrant that the outsiders want to know about it, but I don't see it. I don't have it. So, so that the word can get through the sidewalk, what does James say? Go to God. If anyone lacks wisdom, if you're not hearing 
from the Lord how your circumstances are going to be, in fact, worked together for good because you love him and you're called. Go to God, and now what James is saying, and when you go to him, listen so intently. Don't go to God and tell him the list of things that you're so mad and angry about and you, you just wish that he would get on your program. What James is saying is, be so quick to listen to the word of God for your life. The, the second the, the second condition of the heart, which will exist right here this morning, it says, now, verse 20, as for one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. The, the, the word is not penetrating into the depths of your life, but endures just for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. Now, the first soil condition is true, no matter where you preach, it can exist. But by God's grace, we live in a culture, in a country, in a church age where lack of understanding can be solved really quickly. You can listen to a sermon on James chapter 1, verse 19 all day long, and you can find much better ones than this one. You can find books on it. You can find ways to get beyond the sidewalk in our culture. This is getting a little bit closer to maybe some of the conditions that might exist right now, as I share the the hope that we can have in God this morning. Some of you are going to say, awesome. I love that. I actually needed to hear this message. I'm so glad I'm at church this morning because life was hard and that song spoke to me and that sermon was really helpful and I receive it with joy. And then when you leave this place, something's going to happen and you're like, actually, never mind. <laughs> I, I like that idea, but my life starts when the church ends. This is actually getting a little bit more real than that preacher understood about my life. And that's that's going to happen. In times of our life, we will love what we hear in the, in, the, in the church, and we will hate applying it to our life. There's a lack of depth to our life, and this is why, mixed into the message of James, if you want joy, you need endurance. Joy is not some magic thing you get on Sunday, and then it just follows you around. What you're experiencing today is the beginning of your week with the Lord. May you have time in your life beyond me sharing, beyond band singing, beyond all of the ways that the culture can come around you with the resources of the church age, where you are able to take the word of God and say, Lord, go deeper still. May your word go beyond all of the fast food style church. May it sink into my life so that when I leave the joy of the sanctuary, I still have the joy in the streets. Now we come to another condition. It says in verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. There is another appeal to be made to some things we've already studied in the book of James. And one of them, which almost seems out of left field as we're studying it, James talks about not being double-minded, to listen to the wisdom of God, and then to do it so that we're not like waves in the sea, going back and forth between God's way and our way. And then he says, for the rich, glory when you're made low, for the poor, Glory when you're, when you're brought up or exalted. And one of the ways that we drew that text for our time was to say, man, we are a culture that loves the resources that God has given us, and we better glory in the way that he humbles us. 
We better take part in, in this command of Scripture to say, in whatever way the Lord teaches you humility, run to it. And one of the reasons that really is for us is because we, we do live in such a rich time, don't we? When, when I read what it says that the thorns represent the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, I, I think of my own heart. I think of being a, a, a preacher across this country, and we've got cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches in our phone, in our pockets, everywhere we go, everything we turn on is reminding us the contrast of the gospel, that this world has got a lot to care about, and there's a lot of riches that we can be deceived about. And so for us, when I think about listening, we're challenged by each soil condition leading up to the fourth one where he says that it's sown on good soil and you hear the word and understand it and then you get to bear the fruit. And that's what we're going to talk about, how we can get to that. But as before we get to doing the word, can we just take a moment to think about all of the thorns that await us as we leave this Sunday morning? In fact, James will say one of the ways to have the imparted word come into our heart is that we have to make room for it. We have to kind of clear the garden bed, as it were. Look what it says in verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. So we've got to repent of all of the stuff that lives in our heart outside of the word. As I was thinking about this, it's, it's interesting because I am the first one to read this and think, Lord, help me with humility and repentance be a better listener of your word. And as I'm thinking through that, it's almost like I, I, my first prayer is that my ears would get bigger. I just need to listen more. It's like I read and then I forget. But when you think about the soil condition of the thorns, it's not that we don't have enough listening ear. It's that we actually have too much. It's not that there's not anything growing. It's that too much is growing. And in your life with the Lord, if you're like the average American Christian pursuing the, the richness of God's word coming alive in your heart by hearing his voice, your problem isn't that you don't know how to listen. Your problem's more likely to be that you listen to too much stuff. The, the sermon this morning is going to compete likely with a lot of alternative sermons as you leave this place because every car has a radio. It's like, what's next? What am I listening to now? And every living room has a television and every bathroom has a phone. It's like, where do you go? Some of you are tracking me. Where do you go to not listen? This is one of the ways that we can begin to say, cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse us. Help us understand where it's falling too shallow. And help us receive it with joy and endurance. But also, can we be countercultural, even counter-Christian culture, and start to listen to you more than we listen to all the other stuff? There's a dangerous thing that you can do on your phone, and you can look at the, the time spent on it. And sometimes this is a disproportionate study because if you're like me, you like to be in the analog Bible, you know, the old school, like, papyrus Bible. But if you look at your phone, it will actually tell you all of the ways that it has taken your time that could have been spent listening 
slowly listening to God and it's pointing towards talking. When it says be quick to listen and slow to speak and you almost want to insert slow to post, slow to tweet, slow to share, slow to like, slow to comment, slow to block, unfollow, delete. It's like our response to the world around us is always engagement. And my encouragement to you is that if you want to listen to God, you have to listen less to things that have nothing to do with his voice. I referenced the book last week without actually giving the title, so I can share if you're interested, because it was about Christian discipline, and many of you afterwards um, reached out to me and said, what was that book? I'm interested in more Christian discipline in my life. I, I want to know the word more. It was a book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he shares something that I think we all need to hear. Uh, the title alone maybe has sparked your interest because hurry is something that all of us can be tempted by to fill up all of the ways that you could listen with noise. And he says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Your listening is connected to your life. Your life is connected to your love. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him, to all that is good and beautiful and true in his word. Your life is what you give your attention to. But, he says... Not so much for those that give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drive. Did anyone relate to that second option? You are what you give your attention to. Last week, we looked at a really important tension that exists in the life of the Jesus follower when it comes to temptation, because inside of your heart dwells the capacity for the knowledge of good and evil. And we looked at that really important tension as, it, as Jesus presented it in John chapter 10, 10, between the thief and a shepherd. He says, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But like all good thieves, when tempted, sin with the end goal of destruction and death for your life— comes with more with a uh, snake oil than with a spear. And then he says, but the good shepherd, the shepherd comes to bring life and life more abundant. And so I find that very helpful when thinking about following in the way of Jesus, however difficult it is, knowing that the end is life and life more abundant, knowing that listening to his word, which points us to his will, which points us to a way to live out the gospel gives us that promise that anyone who continues in his word will be blessed. Now Jesus says something else important that we should add on to a reading of John chapter 10, because he says, you want to know which one you are? Whether you're listening to the thief or whether you're listening to the shepherd? He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The question 
of the hour as we think about listening in the midst of a world that is full of both gospel truth and worldly thorns, whose voice is in your ear? What is the voice that gets you awakened in the morning to drive you to, to, to the things that you want to do? Is it the voice of your favorite podcast? Is it the voice of your favorite news anchor or YouTube host? Is it the voice of the author reading your favorite audiobook? Or by the word of God received quickly and slowly responded to in your heart, are you beginning to hear the voice of the Lord? Beginning to hear the voice that is calling you with his kindness to repentance that would turn from thorns and come into a relationship with him. That's a question that we answer through the time that we spend listening. How are we listening? This also brings up a transition into how we listen overflows into how we live. And this is something James is going to lead us in, starting in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So there is a great uh, opportunity for self-deception that exists right now in the hearing of the word. And it works something like this. I am a Christian because I love to go to church and listen to sermons and consume all of the stuff that tells me about God. And, and, and many of us have, from time and time in our life, had to repent of that deception because we do not gather in church to become more Christian. We gather in church to become more in love with the Lord. And I think of my own way to read that verse and apply it to times in my life. I actually grew up in this very church. It's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Here I am, still here. <laughs> but, you know, for, for many years, I was happy to be deceived by my participation in church. I was happy to be deceived in, in my good standing with God because of my hearing. And James says, if all you're doing is hearing, but you're not actually doing anything with the truth that God gives you to live out with a sword against the thorn, then you're deceived. And a, a, a life that is deceived by only hearing will, in fact, be pointless. As James will go on next week, we'll look that a religion that is deceived in hearing without action is a useless religion. And so it is. Your life here has, does little to tell you about how useful you are in the kingdom of God. My life throughout my 20s was kind of a useless religion. I, I claimed to know God, but I did nothing with it. But there's a shift that happens when the implanted word of God becomes that fourth soil where it grabs root and then it grows into something that is a tangible fruit. In other words, you could think of the word as the seed that goes into your heart, and you can think of your action as the fruit that you get to enjoy. And one without the other is very, it, it, it doesn't do anything for your life. And so now we get the illustration of what this will look like in kind of a, a living parable for you to hear the word this morning or to open the word in your Christian devotion every morning and to quickly forget everything that was talked about. Uh, to quickly forget anything that the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, using my words to reach your heart, may have been pointing you to. And again, if you're like me, 
That's something I need to repent of all the time. I had great times in the, in the Word this morning, or all throughout the week in the morning, and oftentimes I thought back, what exactly did I read? I cannot remember. And that might be your experience. Seems like church went well, but what was that all about? Well, James says, here's what this is like. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. We're all at risk of doing that anytime we open the word. And I appreciate the illustration. Uh, When you look in the mirror, uh, you get this reminder that who you are in the mirror is often (laughs) different than who you are up here. (laughs) You're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. That's that's different. Um, The mirror is also typically a call to action. Just a little test for your own life. Uh, The next time you look in the mirror, try to do nothing about it. Typically, you look in the mirror, and it's like, this needs to change, and, and uh, what the heck? Like, why am I, I? I have that problem all the time. I was like, oh, my gosh, what, what was I thinking today? In fact, I had that problem in, in real time this week because in, in a rush to get out the door and, and to come to the conference on Wednesday night, I'm shaving my neck really quickly because I, I don't want to have the neck beard, you know? It's like shaving, and I nick myself so bad. I'm, like, bleeding. My kid's are like, what happened? And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to. And I look, and I'm like bleeding. I see it all in the mirror, and I, I'm in such a rush that I do nothing about it. And then I come in, and maybe some of you saw me, because the first 10 people I saw, they're like, wow, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm bleeding all over the place. <laughs> I looked in the mirror and forgot what happened. And many of us can do that at times. It's like I look in the mirror, and if there's no action, there's something missing from your application of the mirror. This is also really interesting when we think about what we're doing right now. This is a, a, a help a helpful reminder of what the Word does for our life. The Word shows you who you really are. Remember, the real mirror, you look different than you think sometimes. That's why the mirror is helpful. In the same way, you come to the the preaching of the Word, the time in the Word, and you should look different than you think. The, the, The Word held up to you with all of the truth. As it says, In your light, I see light. The truth of God bringing you into the light should show you things about yourself that you totally forgot or didn't know. In fact, Scripture teaching Scripture, we reread again Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we all must give an account. That's why when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, it's often called the mirror to your soul, because up here we think we're doing pretty good whether it be with our marriage or the way that we handle our lust or the way that we externally look religious or externally uh, hold our hate deep down and just treat everyone nice from an arm's distance. And Jesus says, when you examine the heart, maybe you're not as pure as you think. Maybe you're not as religious as you think. And he holds up a mirror to all his disciples and says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of all this external righteousness, you'll never enter the kingdom. And that is what the word does whenever we open it. The spirit makes it come alive. And it says, this is who you really are. 
And it does it in ways that are often uncomfortable, which is why sometimes maybe we avoid the word or avoid the preaching of the word or avoid an honest listening of the word. My wife has a mirror that is one of the benefits of of the modern day world we live in, very different than anything James probably had ever imagined, but it gives a picture to the power of God's word in our life. Do do, do any of you, men or women, have one of these magnifying mirrors? (laughs) These things are crazy scary. (laughs) I looked one up and this is the product description. It's called the LED mirror with 10 times magnifier. Sounds like a Christmas wish list item, but it says this. The powerful 10 times magnification allows you to focus in on specific sections of your face. Ideal for makeup applications and precise tweezing, which is nice. You want to get in there and get the right thing. Really, when you look at a mirror, two things will happen. And and the magnification of it allows it to happen even deeper, which is the roots that we want from the word. Go even deeper than what we're comfortable with seeing in church or seen through the devotion, or seen through the surface-level preaching that just makes everything look great. Lord, magnify your word in my life. Show me what I really look like, and show me what I really need to remove. Two things will happen when you look at a mirror, and two things will happen when you look at the word. And it's kind of the bad news before the good news in the gospel presentation. One, and I don't know a way to put this less bluntly. You will see how ugly you are. I don't know how to say that kindly, but that's one of the, the things about a mirror is it amplifies the stuff, uh, the, the tweezing opportunities. And that actually does happen in the Word of God. One of the things we're supposed to see as it gets lifted up to our soul is how desperately we need God's grace. We're not supposed to see the mirror and continually see health and prosperity and you're doing a great job and you're an amazing person and once you get to the kingdom, it'll be better. No, by God's grace, it will be. But what we're supposed to see is that we are people who need the cleansing power of God's word. We need the corrective power of God's word. We need the wisdom that overlays our foolishness. We need the strength for our spiritual weakness. And you don't have to look farther than the book of James to see the mere exposing something inside of us that is less than comfortable. Because last week, we said, you know, it's tempting when we go through the circumstances of life and we, we find ourselves tempted by sin to say it was, it was God who did it. You're angry about it. It's like, or, you know, much more of a, 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 a pop psychologist way to handle the problems of our life. It's like, it was... It was the woman that you gave me. It's like this broken you know, church age that I lived in and all these crazy pastors and parents and professors that I had, and it was their fault. And yet when you hold the Bible up to them, when you hold the Bible up like a mirror to your soul, it says this, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. The Bible reminds all of us that inside of the human heart, the line between good and evil cuts through each one of us. Inside our own heart, our desires and the capacity to walk in God's goodness that he's prepared beforehand or to drift away, sheep gone astray, and follow after our own desires. And, and last week, the, the, the thing that hit a square behind the eyes was like, your sin is your fault. We don't come to church and tell God about all the people that required us to sin. We say, Lord, 
we are here by your grace coming boldly to your throne room to receive your mercy and your love and your kindness because last week I did things that I do when my flesh gets involved. Your own desires entice you and they lead you towards a path of death. And there's all sorts of things in the scripture when the mirror gets held up that you need to remember about our need for a savior and our need for a shepherd. While you were dead in your sins, Christ died for you. Each one of us gone astray. All have fallen short of God's glory, his perfection, his holiness. All of us in need of the atoning power of the blood of Christ to cover us with his righteousness so we see the blemish. And the second thing the mirror does is it shows you how beautiful you are. There's times in your life where you look at the mirror and you think, it's working. I, I, I was you know, walking in wisdom and truth with, with my food and my exercise and, and you know, fashion advice, and here I am, and in humility you say, God, thank you, I, I'm, I'm comfortable inside my own skin. And the stuff that I'm working is using, last, last service I said, the, 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 the hair growth to regrow my hair is working, and nobody laughed, and I was like, that makes sense, actually, because who wants to laugh at their own baldness, but that happens in the mirror. By God's goodness in our lives, he gives us things to enjoy about who he made us to be. And it happens in the word. I I hope that when you come to hear the word and you spend time in the word, you get the gospel, which is bad news before the great news. And you don't have to look farther than James. It says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruit of his creation. Because, why? Of his own will. God loves you, my beloved. The Bible gets held up and you see somehow in the mysteries of God's salvation, you see a treasure that God looks at and says, I will send my son to die for you. God loves you. And he's given you the power of his spirit to give you spiritual gifts so that you have a purpose in the kingdom. He's got a plan that has good works that he wants you to walk in. And he sings over you. And he loves the gathering of his saints and the unity of the believers. And there's so much about what God has for us that the gospel on the ground shows us through the mirror that we are a loved and cherished, prized possession of God. Now, in both ways, don't forget it. That is how you begin to live this out because it says in verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Now, we could spend a whole sermon series talking about God's amazing law that brings freedom. The word correctly applied to your life is something that will point you towards a narrow and difficult gate with life and life abundant on the other side. Joy and rejoicing. You, you look into the perfect law of liberty and you continue in it. It's not a Sunday sermon. It's a life that you live unto God and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Underline it. This one will be blessed in what he does. You don't forget this message that is preached, the word of God held up to you. Listen to it. God will save you from your wretched mistakes and make you a prized possession, and you live it out. And we forget this all the time. Sometimes we forget that we are ourselves the product of forgiveness. Jesus 
is helpful here. Again, Servant on the Mount. Imagine holding up a mirror to, to your soul and seeing what could be described as uh, something that God is working out in you that is so hard and so difficult that it's like a log in your eye. Remember that teaching? And you see it and you're like, oh my goodness, there's a log in my eye in the form of bitterness or anger or uh, hurriedness or all the stuff that just is not what God wants for me. And then you leave and you're like pointing out everyone else's specs. You have forgotten that you yourself are the product of God's grace. Remember it and freely receive his grace and freely give it. Be a worker of the goodness of God in and through your lives in whatever way he calls you. And sometimes we forget this other thing, that anyone who hears the word is like a wise builder, and when the rain and the storm comes to life, your foundation is sure in Christ. Do not forget it. When you leave this place and the rain starts, and God, by God's grace, he allowed this illustration to include actual rain. <laughs> it's raining. Your life is hard. Your life is difficult. The circumstances are, are, are less than desirable. The temptation is, is, is less than, than desirable. Your foundation is sure. There is hope in Christ. There is a sovereign God who will work all of these things together for good, and you, by the power of the word of God in you, will not fall. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Be a doer of the word. Now, with the short time I have left, I'll say the same thing about listening that I will about doing. Why don't we listen? Because we actually listen to too much noise to listen to the truth of God's word. And why don't we do the word? Because we do too much apart from God to actually follow him. I'll continue in the reading of the quote that I already read from this book. I found it helpful. Be a doer of the word, and yet we try to do everything. Comer says, hurry is violence on the soul. Corey Tumboom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Here's my point. The solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It's to slow down and to simplify our lives around Christ. Move the thorns that are the noise of the radio and the phone and the television and cut out the deceit that is filling up your calendar with all of this worldly stuff that is fading away. You want to do what the Lord is calling you to do? You better make time for the Lord to be your shepherd. And you remember that verse, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So I already asked the question, who are you listening to? Who you listen to has something to do with the life that you live and the love that you've got. And I'll ask another question, who are you following? I, I love that, that Paul says, you better follow the Lord and the Lord only, because if you answer it with, I'm following this politician, or I'm following this great leader, or I'm following the hope that everything's going to get put together by this guy or this plan— you're following the wrong thing. And Paul will even say, and if even you're following a pastor, 
Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'm so grateful that the Lord uses the weakness of human words to prove the power of God. Listen to the Lord and follow Jesus. That is the way that you get to cash in this promise. Anyone who does that will be blessed. And so we said we could start every sermon with James chapter 1, verse 19. Let's be good listeners. We could also probably end every sermon with a review of Acts chapter 1. The scene is kind of similar. The disciples have gone through their own trial and temptation in the fact that they followed the Lord for three and a half years, hoping for him to be a certain Messiah that he turned out to be very different than. He was not political. He did not come in to take a physical throne. He died on a cross, which caused much confusion for them. He rose again, showed them the power of the resurrection, and spent about a month and a half showing them the word and preparing them to be doers of it. And then, because... Like I already said, this problem of listening is, is not like only modern times. It's an ancient problem. They say to the Lord, after he says to them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you have the power of the Spirit. They say, is now when you're going to do the whole like restore the kingdom of Israel? This is, what he, this is what the Lord says. It's not for you to know the time of the season. The Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, Samaria, and the end of the earth. He said, listen, wait. Don't worry about all of the uncertainty. In the Father's authority, he's going to work out his plan of redemption until his glory covers the world. Your job, wait for the power of the Spirit. Wait until it comes upon you and then be witnesses, be doers of all that it shows the glory of God for. And now here's where every church service could end because then it says, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up on a cloud and received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards the heaven, he went up. Behold, two men in white apparel, angels, also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand staring, gazing into heaven? It's like this classic scene. The Lord is... Lifted on high, he takes his rightful seat at the right hand of the Father. And how could you not just be like, what? That's incredible. The glory of the Lord caught up in the air. Men of Galilee, what are you looking at? And in the same way, it's like we get to have these glorious moments with the Lord every week. You have these glorious moments where it's like, there it was. The glory of God. That song was great. That sermon was all right. The church experience is like, Wow. And now it's like fellowship of Calvary. Hear this. The same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the like manner as you saw him go. In other words, what are you doing with your life? Are we church people who are like, yeah, church is awesome. (laughs) That was crazy. The Bible, like, whoa, just looked at it. What are you looking at? (laughs) Go and do what God tells you to do. Be filled with his spirit. Wait on his timing, his perfect timing for your life. And then play the witness for all of the ways that God's truth blesses your life. Be doers. Be hearers.
Be blessed.